Years ago, there was an amusing commercial on TV in which a man, a man is about to let go of a bowling ball as he eyes the, the pins at the end of the lane. And just as he is letting the ball go, he feels himself being lifted out of his body. And he looks around and he sees two men in white sparkling suits. But he's being lifted out of his, out of his body and he levitates and he goes across the lanes and he goes through the walls of the building and then he starts going up this, this large grand staircase in the clouds. And at first he doesn't understand what in the world is going on, but it suddenly dawns on him. He has just died. And he looks at the two men in white suits at his side, and he asks in disbelief, are you sure you got the right guy? I was working on a string of strikes. But convinced that there is no mistake, he goes off reluctantly, and he just kind of shrugs. Gee, I guess I just wasn't ready. The point of the commercial, uh, at least the one that the, the sponsor had in mind, was you need to be ready for insurance. You need to have a piece of the rock, and that's the way to be ready. I guess I just wasn't ready. Jesus once told a story about a rich farmer uh, who was doing really well. Uh, he had a bumper crop, built bigger and bigger barns, and, and he thought now that he had you know, uh, he had all the time in the world to sit back and eat and drink and, be, and to be merry, only to discover that that very night, death came knocking at his door. And at that moment, he realized he should have spent more time attending to his soul rather than to his stomach. I guess I just wasn't ready. I mean, there's no way to say that without feeling badly. Students say it when they see a big fat F on their exam paper or on their term paper. Okay, I have two recurrent nightmares. Uh, one of them uh, takes me back to college when, uh, in those days, I don't know if they still do it, but there were blue books, you know, you'd buy a blue book at the university bookstore and you'd take the blue book to the exam day, and this is for essay exams, right? So they give you the questions, and you're supposed to fill out the blue books and then fill it out and, and, and give it to the professor. And this nightmare, I mean, it's a kind of recurrent uh, that, uh, that that day comes, and I am not ready at all for that exam, and I haven't a clue what to put in that blue book. And that was it. That without... You know, that, that always just makes me wake up, you know, with a cold sweat. I'm always so glad that I'm no longer in school. Because <laughs> I wasn't ready. And then the other one, uh, especially my earlier ministry, was uh, that getting up on Sunday morning and not having done my homework and not having a clue what I'm going to say. That, that's scares me to death. I still does sort of actually, you know. Uh, can you imagine getting up in the pulpit and saying, well, I'm sorry, nothing came to me today. 
So you know what, Jim, let's uh, sing for about another 25 minutes. Oh, that too wakes me up with a cold sweat. Man. Now it's not such a big deal because, you know, I'm getting older and have more life experience. And that would not, I would not be in a, such a panic mode as I was when it, when it was like, took me everything to come up with a 10-minute sermon. <laughs> I guess I just wasn't ready. I mean, that's what uh, a lot of baseball batters say when they make their way back to the dugout after striking out yet another time. I mean, how many football teams have lost the game because the athletes, the team, they just weren't ready? Sometimes the consequences of not being ready are truly tragic. You know, I, can, I think about the, the young man and the young woman who are just divorced, and they look at, each, look at each other with tears in their eyes and saying to each other, I guess we just weren't ready for marriage. Being ready is a good thing. But not being ready is bad news. And so the vital importance of being ready, of being prepared, is the main theme of our Scripture lesson this morning. Listen now to our Lord as He tells us yet another one of His parables. So I'm reading from Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Listen to the Word. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So what's this all about? I think to fully appreciate this parable, you have to understand a little bit about the wedding customs of the day. And in those days, wedding festivities would last a whole week. Uh, normal day-to-day -day duties, religious obligations would be suspended for the whole wedding party so that everybody in the wedding party could uh, enter fully into the joy of the occasion. I mean, I can't imagine paying for a week-long celebration, but anyway, that happened. It's kind of, a, kind of a cool rule that they had. And the high point of the week of wedding celebration was when the bridegroom would come to the bride's house to fetch her to take her to their new marriage home. And uh, around this event of the coming of the bridegroom, there would be a lot of pageantry and great drama. Uh, tradition had developed. The bride would ask 10 of her friends to be her bridesmaids, and their special task was to accompany the bride on the journey to, from, the, from her house to the new marriage home. And usually, 
this took place at night, and so each of the bridesmaids would have to have an oil, I mean, a lamp with oil, and so they could light, you know, the joyous way for the wedding party. The time when the bridegroom uh, was to come to the bride's house was, was uh, meant to be a surprise. It was a secret. And so all of the bridesmaids and the bride would, uh, would be waiting expectantly for him to come. As Jesus told the story, the bridesmaids waited patiently for the bridegroom. But soon the only exhaustion of all the partying and, and uh, the bridegroom's uh, arrival seemed to be delayed, and uh, so they became very sleepy, they, they, they dozed off. And while the ten bridesmaids slept, they left their lamps burning brightly. And as the hours went by, five of the lamps began to, the light began to flicker and to, to go out. It seems that five of the bridesmaids had not prepared for the long wait. They didn't bring extra oil for their lamps. So when the bridegroom's coming was announced, the five foolish bridesmaids who didn't have enough oil tried to borrow oil from the others, from the five who were prepared. But they refused because the supply wasn't enough. They only had enough for themselves. So there was nothing uh, nothing for the uh, unprepared bridesmaids to do but to go and they'd have to go off and buy some more oil. And it turns out while they were off, away, buying oil, the bridegroom came, and they missed the entire processional. And if that were not disappointing enough, when they returned with their lamps replenished, the door of the marriage house, the door of the banquet, was shut so that they couldn't enter into the joy of the wedding celebration. It was a custom in those days for the door of the wedding banquet to be shut after all the guests had arrived, and not to reopen to strangers or drifters looking for a free meal. They didn't want any party crashers. So they deliberately kept the door shut. And so no amount of frantic rapping at the door would admit those five foolish bridesmaids to the party. I mean, they didn't bother with the door. And so they missed the joy. They were just not ready. And so the point of the story is this, will you and I be ready when Christ the bridegroom comes to us? Will we be able to experience the joy? Christ is coming again, and that is the theme of this Advent season. Christ is coming. That's what the word Advent means, comes from the Latin Adventum, which means to come. And so during this season, we prepare for His coming. We look back 2,000 years ago to His first coming in Bethlehem as a baby. We anticipate His coming to us again at Christmas time in a special spiritual way, in a new way that's life enriching. And then He will come again at some unexpected time in the future to bring a fitting conclusion to history as we know it. For us, you see, history is going somewhere. There's a beginning and there will be an end. And in the end will be Jesus Christ, who is our all in all. It has always been the faith of the church that Christ will come again in glory. When Jesus' earthly life came to an end, the moment came for Him to be ascended to the the Father, two angels said to His disciples who were watching Him go, 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, says the angels, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And over and over again, the Bible affirms this wonderful truth. He will come again in glory. Uh, one out of every 30 verses in the Bible mentions the subject of Christ's return or the end of time. Of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, there are well over 300 references to the return of Jesus Christ. Christ spoke of His return often, especially after He revealed His death. He never did so in vague or in uncertain terms. And the Bible ends with the Lord's words, surely I am coming soon. And John adds, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. That word Maranatha in Aramaic means, Lord, come. Lord, come. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a story of a pastor who was uh, asking his uh, congregation to participate in a little exercise that, then, that when they would greet one another, they would, would, they would say to one another, Maranatha, you know, the Lord come, the Lord come quickly. And this is the prayer of the early church, Maranatha. Well, a pastor was in the grocery store one day and two older ladies in the congregation uh, saw him and they shouted out, Marijuana, pastor, marijuana! You know, close phonetically, but not the same thing, you know. No, it's Maranatha. Jesus is coming back. The same Lord who was born as a babe in Bethlehem, who lived and died on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world, and who came back to life again and ascended into heaven, is coming back to judge the living and the dead. As Jesus himself said, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens, so that He is going to come back to finish what He started that first Christmas. And of that great and glorious day, uh, during that day, He will right all wrongs, and He will usher in an era of justice and peace. On that day, the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and swords will be turned into plowshares. On that day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. On that day, all creation will find its completion and its fulfillment in Him. We have great hope in God. I mean, we have a great and glorious destiny, because at the end of history will be Jesus Himself. We have a destiny as the children of God to share in His ultimate victory. So if we thought that His first coming was glorious, right, what, with the angel chorus, you know, and so on, singing, think how glorious the second coming will be. David Peterson, who was, uh, used to be pastor of First Presbyterian Church in, in uh, Spokane, told about a time when he was preparing a sermon and his little daughter came into his, his study and said, Daddy, can we play? And, uh, and Peter said, Peterson said to his daughter, I'm sorry, uh, sweetheart, but uh, I'm right in the middle of preparing my sermon. It's about an hour before I can play. And she said, okay, okay, Daddy, when you're finished, I'm going to give you a great big hug. And he said, well, thank you very much. And so this little girl went to the door, and these are his words. Then she did a U-turn and came back and gave me a chiropractic bone-breaking hug. And Peterson said to her, well, sweetie, you said that you were going to give me a big hug after I had finished. And she said, Daddy, 
I just wanted to, to, you to know what you have to look forward to. So that, you see, one meaning of Christmas is that God wants us to know through His first coming what we have to look forward to in His second coming. And oh, what a day that will be. But like the bridesmaids in Jesus' parable, we don't know when He will come again. We don't know when the bridegroom will come. And I'm very comfortable leaving uh, the timing to God. I don't worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, one, do, one thing is for sure, he seems to have been delayed in his coming. But I do know that he will come at a time we do not expect. Jesus himself says, of that day and hour no one knows, only the Father in heaven. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. But the question is this. On that day, when he comes again, Will you and I be ready? Will we be ready? Now, being ready for Christ has nothing to do with consulting timetables, time charts, climbing a mountain, waiting for the end, but it has everything to do with the quality of our relationship with God. When He returns, will He find the light of His love burning brightly in us and through us? Or will it have been extinguished for lack of oil? In our parable, the wise bridesmaids each had enough oil to keep their lamp burning. But the five foolish bridesmaids had no oil or not enough oil. Hence, they lost their light. No light. Commentators have said different things about, well, what is, this? What is the oil in this parable? Uh, what's it signify? if it signifies anything, because we have to be careful that when we interpret parables, there's really only one main point, and so we dare not read too much into, into the elements of a, of a parable. But for me, it seems best to think of the oil as representing the presence of God in our life. In the Old Testament, oil is frequently used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Kings and priests were anointed with oil as a sign of their consecration to God and supposedly of their spirit-filled lives. So think of the oil as the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that keeps us on fire for the Lord. And so you and I are to make sure that we are spiritually prepared by being attentive to the Spirit of God within us, who is already at work within us, so that we're listening to His voice, we're attending to His Word, we are, we are obedient to what He says. We are in prayer with vigilance, walking with Him day by day, so that our relationship with God is vital and alive and growing. And the more we are filled with the oil of His presence, the more the light of His love can shine, can burn in us and shine through us. So the first step then in getting ready for the coming of Christ is to make sure that you and I are right with God, that we're on God, good terms with God, that we've been made right with God through faith in Him and that we have received the gift of His Holy Spirit and we're nurturing that relationship within. Now, each of us 
each of us is responsible for our own relationship with God. It's not my responsibility as your pastor. It's not Jim's responsibility. It's not your parents' responsibility or friend's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Each of us must answer the call of Christ upon our lives. We must respond. We must do so before it's too late. We dare not put it off. We dare not be unprepared. We don't want to be numbered with the five foolish bridesmaids who missed the wedding party, who missed out on all the joy. To not be ready is to miss the joy. To miss the joy is to miss everything. Now, some people assume that when Christ appears, they will be able to borrow another person's oil at the last minute. Can you imagine Jesus appearing at the final judgment and someone says, well, my uncle was a Methodist preacher. Doesn't that count? You can't borrow somebody else's faith. You can't borrow somebody else's experience. Jesus told us what will be said to those who are not ready. I do not know you. It's worth noting, you know, in this parable, like so many of the parables, it's, it's about joy, it's about a party, wedding celebration, and it's all this, this, this joy rings through the parable, but there's also a note of judgment. And in fact, the three saddest sayings in all the parables of Jesus are found right here in our Scripture passage. The three saddest sayings, probably in the whole Bible. Our lamps are gone out. The door was shut, and worst of all, I do not know you. Many will say in that day, says Jesus, Lord, Lord, but I will not know them. So that now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to come to faith in Christ. This is the time to stop fighting God and start going with God. Now is the time to be reconciled with God. Today is the day of salvation. Carpe diem, right? Seize the day while there's still time. There may not be a tomorrow. There may be the second coming or there may be death knocking at our door. Are you ready? When Jesus appears, those who are prepared, who keep their spiritual oil tank filled up, will hear, will hear the words of Jesus, well done. Others will hear, I don't know you. What a contrast. Which greeting do you want to hear? Now, if the way to be ready for the Lord's return is to get right with God and to nurture our relationship with God, the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, then our readiness will surely show in the good works that we are already doing for Him. The light of God's love will shine brightly in the deeds we do in His name. When He returns, nothing will please Him more than to see His people, to see His servants being faithful in carrying out His will and going about His mission. Until His return, 
He's given you and me work to do. There's a gospel to proclaim and people to serve in His name. It's interesting that whenever the Lord's return is mentioned, there is never a call to retreat or to withdraw or to draw up timetables, but there's always a call to holy living and faithful obedience. Faithfulness, staying at it, keeping the light of God burning till He comes again. And His coming may be delayed, but keep burning. Keep the light going. Be His person to the very end. For heaven's sake, we've got kingdom work to do. Blessed is a servant whom his master will find at work when he comes, saith the Lord. We've got work to do. I've got kind of a funny sign in my office. We had it posted in, the, in, a, in our building. <laughs> People would come in the door. It was kind of an old-fashioned picture of Jesus knocking at the door. And then underneath are the words, Jesus is coming. Look busy. Look busy. Well, <laughs> you know what? That's not going to wash with the Lord. You can't just look it. You got to play the part, right? You got to be busy, but you got to be about doing the work of the kingdom, the stuff that matters, the stuff that matters, because life is so short. And He may come for us any moment. Christ is coming. <laughs> may you and I be a ready people because He's coming again. May we be ready for the most important meeting in our lives. Ready to add our voices to the great multitude in the book of Revelation, which is gathered around His throne and shouts out, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride, namely his church, you and me. His bride has made herself ready. So may it be. Amen. Well, let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, you came 2,000 years ago. You're coming to us at Christmas, and Lord, you will come again one day. But Lord, we want to be ready. And, uh, and so, Lord, we pray that, uh, that the oil of Your glad presence would be full in us, that we would nurture our relationship with You, that more of Your Spirit would hold sway over our lives so that our light, which is Your light, can shine forth all the more. Lord, may our faith burn for You, and may it show in all that we say, and in all that we do. To you be the glory. Amen.